There's the whistle. Second half, my three subs action from the Center Circle Studios. I'm not sure what I've gotten myself into today. I will say this. I didn't bring any pre-prepared questions. Uh, We're just going to roll with it. And I've got three great storytellers with me today. And we're going back to the foundation of Memphis professional soccer today. With us uh, today, uh, Bob Brain, one of the original radio broadcasters for the team. Rudy Schiffer, who helped lay the foundation of the Memphis Rogues, and a guy that got some butts in the seats for the Memphis Rogues and did a lot of stuff in the front office, Hal Downing, all joining uh, in today. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. How are you? <laughs> they told me there's no bourbon on this show. Is that right? Well, it's a podcast. You can pretty much... Who, who um, was employed by the team first? Which of you guys? Was it you, uh, Rudy? Well, I was the first guy, yeah. I came in with... Um, a guy named um, Bill Markham, who Harry Mangorian. Harry Mangorian owned the Boston Celtics. He, he signed Larry Bird, and he had a good team. And he lived down in uh, you know uh, Fort Lauderdale. Rich rich guy had a huge ranch, raised classic racehorses and stuff. And Bill Markham was a big, slow old boy. Didn't have much together. But Bill convinced them, because Tampa Bay had a great team, that we could have a team in Memphis. So they put a team in Memphis, and Bill Markham ran it. He subsequently got fired for doing nothing, and I got the job as GM. I was a vice president of marketing, and I had a need a radio broadcasting, and um, Bob was always friendly to the team, so Bob became my radio guy along with another crazy guy who was since deceased, God bless him, Kevin Card, who was just absolutely berserk in the booth with you think? with pills and beer and stuff. <laughs> Kevin and, the wild card. He, yeah, the wild card. And, and Hal called me. I was at the hotel, and I got a call from Hey, this is Hal Downing. I, I would like to get a job at the Rogues. What do you do? <laughs> Tell him, Hal. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading the newspaper, and Memphis had been awarded a team, and they had a picture of Rudy and Markham and Mangurian at the Higher Regency. So I called the Higher Regency, and I said, bring Rudy Schiffer's room. And he said, hello. And I said, is this Rudy Schiffer? He said, yeah. He goes, who's this? I said, this is Hal Downing. I want a job with your soccer team. He goes, kid, we just landed today. <laughs> Come back in about a month when we got an office. So uh, he goes, you know what? NASL requires that we have a general manager, PR director, a marketing director. You're looking at all three because the owner's cheap. You start the booster club. I can't give any money, but I'll give you 10% commission on any group sales you do. And the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we ran by the CDP. The ownership was out of town, you know, and um, – and, but Harry was a very suspicious guy. Uh, he was a Lebanese guy, very suspicious. And he called me two or three times a day. Well, what have you done today, Rudy? And then he called me and said, Rudy, someone's stealing beer at the stadium. Said, what? <laughs> what? He says, yeah, me he and said, Kevin. He <laughs> said, you're supposed to get 60, 60 drinks out of a barrel. You're only getting 58. And here you get, you get, you know, evaporation, spillage. He says, <laughs> he says, well, forget that. I got this pump. I found this pump. You put it in the keg, and it'll pump every glass out, okay? So I said, you didn't do this. You're fired. So I'd come back in the office the next day. Call, Are you still there? Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> he, didn't know the, he didn't know the guy that sold beer at the yeah, stadium, Bobby Lawson. He, fi- he fired me about 15 times. <laughs> next day, he said, you still there? He finally said one day, he said, you're like a pogo dog. I like you. I keep knocking you down and keep coming back for more. I won't fire you anymore. <laughs> then Bob... Bob and I, we met and had a few 
high times together, so to speak. <laughs> played wiffle you ball. Might say and this wasn't this wasn't your first soccer gig, though. Right? No, I, I was. Uh, I worked for the Associated Press originally, covering the Green Bay Packers when Lombardi was there. That's how old I am. Then I went to Boston and I worked at Raytheon and, and Space and so forth. But they were looking for a PR guy down on, in, 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 in Hartford at Hamilton Sandwich, part of the United Aircraft. I went to work for them and covered the space shots and stuff like that. And uh, then eventually I wound up having my own little PR firm. And a soccer team started up called the Connecticut Bicentennials for the North American Soccer League. Well, I was, at that time I had as a client the Connecticut Yankees the American Soccer League, which I did for nothing, just for the fun of an experience. And uh, I got to like it, and then the Bicentennials hired me, and they folded. And I looked around. I liked soccer then, so I folded my agency. I saw the job in Memphis. Uh, actually, I called Joe Robbie, who owned the Miami. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. And he owned the Miami Dolphins, too. And I went to see him once, and his wife, they were drunk on New Year's Eve. <laughs> they were drunk, and they hired me, and then they forgot when I called them back. <laughs> and actually, I, Bill Markham was drunk when he hired me on New Year's Eve in Memphis. When I called him back, he had forgot. I said, I'm coming anyway, dang it. And I came down and got the job and lived with him for six months. Terry had no car. I had, had to live with him. He didn't pay his bills. The lights would go out. The gas would run out of the car. I'm this kind of guy he was, you know what I mean? And so we founded the team and, and, uh, didn't, you know, we didn't have any budget worth a dang. Harry gave us, I think on, on 18, 19 players, we spent like $367,000, which was nothing. <laughs> I mean, nothing. I mean, players and other teams were making that individual, the Cosmos, you know. I heard you and Bob shut over it in square down on the first night, though, so the pay couldn't have been that bad. Uh, the beginning of the end for TGI Fridays was when Rudy and I set up camp there one night. <laughs> and uh, and Bombay Bicycle Club, yeah, I mean, vodka and Cokes with McCready. Yeah, Eddie, all I drank was vodka and Cokes, you know, Eddie McCready. <laughs> Eddie's living up in Johnson, Johnson City now up in uh, – East Tennessee, you got happily married, got a farm up there, I understand. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever talked to him? I haven't. We're going we're gonna to plan a trip out there. Wiley lives yeah. in Knoxville, right outside of Knoxville. Oh, so. I don't want to see him. <laughs> <laughs> he was always after my job, that creep. He's, he's coming in yeah. for the Good. very end of the interview. Right. So, Bob, so, so, uh, so Rudy gets into town, are you, and you guys meet up and go have something to eat. Something to drink, right? I don't think we ate anything. <laughs> I think we, we didn't come here to eat. <laughs> well, we, we got a show going. We got the show going, and uh, Bob supported soccer. Yeah. Uh, him and Jack Eaton and Jim Sarchin on TV5 really like soccer. Yeah. So yeah. We, we do a show over there on, was it Lamar? Uh-huh. Uh, those station yeah. 60. Yeah. And we'd go there and it put us on. Jack Eaton would put us on any time we walked in the studio. So we really supported soccer. And that was, that was needed then because. People didn't know about soccer here. You know, I, before I got a team, I, I think I, sp- I spent about 200 nights and days out making speeches on soccer all over. The- i go speak to two people up in Covington in the middle of the morning, you know. And we were going to schools, doing and clinics and Hal, stuff. Hal's real, real contribution was important. He, he did all the clinics. He set up the clinics. We had a little rogue soccer mobile. and He'd go <laughs> and have Cokes in the back of it. And yeah. It'd take place. We'd do clinics. We actually, I think we actually expedited the growth of youth soccer in this community, which was when Hal was there. We Without a doubt, it. yeah. And we, we helped grow it. I mean, that was a real contribution we left behind after the Rogues left was how many more thousands of kids were playing soccer. We, we had decent attendance. You know, we did 13,000 
outdoors, which was pretty good if you think about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And the indoors at the Coliseum, we, we sold, we sold every out game. in 9,200. Every game. We sold that out, and we won the Western Division Championship with the lowest payroll in the country. And we did some good things. And, uh, uh, but soccer was not the sport of the 70s or the 80s. It's soccer, it's just kind of really, it's really come now, it's down to the sport of the, the 20th, 21st century. When you look at these stadiums, Arthur Plank, who owns the Atlanta um, Falcons, owns the Atlanta soccer team, and he owns that what's it, Mercedes stadium. Yeah, the, he fills it up for soccer. Merce- yeah. 70,000 people. He yeah. fills it up. They, they fill it up. <laughs> and they've built soccer-specific stadiums. Malcolm Allison was the first guy. officially, I guess, the first manager, but he didn't even make it to the first game. No, what, he was what, a, what was happening with that? Well, he was a legend in England, Malcolm Allison. You know, Man- Manchester City, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had as a consultant, Harry hired Bo, Bo, uh, what's his name from Tampa Bay? He was the GM of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Yeah. As yeah. a consultant. And he went to England came up with Malcolm Allison. Well, he never reported. All we're doing getting bills on his American Express card. You know, I'd get bills. I didn't even know that guy. I'm getting bills. He's at pubs every night. He's out <laughs> drinking or having a good time in England, huh? And uh, they finally caught up and fired him. And hired Eddie McCready, and, uh, who was a legend at Chelsea. Uh, Eddie McCready is 135 pounds of, of, of 90, 98 pounds of heart and, and, and aggressiveness. Hits you like a freak. Yeah, he train. was such a such a terrific player for Chelsea. He was just he was almost vicious. And um, he was a tight cob of yeah, soccer. <laughs> they flew Eddie in March. We were playing a, a game, an exhibition game up in Canton, Ohio, and Eddie flew in for, to meet the team. And I go to the airport and I pick him up. He comes out with like ankle length raccoon jacket on, glasses like Coke bottles, sunglasses like Coke bottles. And, Oi, son, how you doing? So before going to team meeting, Eddie was paranoid. Before going to team meeting, he gets me up against the wall and says, Oi, son, I don't want you to F me. If you try to F me, I'll give it right back to you, son. I'm going to run this franchise the way I want to say, hey, Eddie. I'm just here to help you. you know, I'm just here to help you. you get <laughs> Easy. You know? He wanted he want to intimidate you from the start. That was his style, just as, as he was a player. There's a story about Eddie when they're playing Leeds United in England at Chelsea, and Leeds says, we're going to take care of McCready. Well, McCready says, my hell. The first time the guy ran down the sideline, Eddie took a run at him about 20 feet and did a flying mirror kick into his head and knocked him out of the game. And they didn't mess with Eddie after that. I mean, totally was, different uh, sport back then when you could yeah, when yeah, you could foul was, and stay. Oh, yeah. The game. yeah, it was real. Yeah. It was real physical. Yeah, um, and, and a lot of injuries. And he was that kind of guy. And he also liked to drink a lot. And uh, I mean, we'd, we'd, I'd go drinking with him before the game. He'd put down thirty vodkas and coke. He and he could never get drunk. Never get drunk. I never seen him drunk. He could go all night long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Bombay Bicycle Club shut down many a night. <laughs> that was over and over to Square Two, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you have to remember, Memphis didn't get liquor by the drink till the seventies, and and over in the square is where it started. Ben Woodson, okay, we we came in seventy eight. I mean, it was like the early days of prohibition being off in Memphis, and these guys come over from England, and <laughs> we drank every pub dry that they had. You know, Bob wrote a great story years ago, but after the road called "Remembering the Rogues," which mm-hmm. was great, talked a lot about the players. The players were the heart of the team because they're they're so diversified, so crazy. I mean, I just wild men from England came over because a lot of them came it was like a holiday for them to come here. You know, they come and play soccer. There was no pressure. They got paid enough to, enough to bring their families with them. You know, 
And if you th- if you think about the movie Slapshot, I mean, we were the equivalent of Slapshot. Yeah. I'm, I mean, really. <laughs> and I was right in there with them. I, I was a I was one of the while I was rooted to rogue. I was just drinking with them and screwing around with them. I didn't give a name. We and it's amazing how the marketing company came up with that name, and it was such an appropriate name because well, the song was we only great. won a, two games first year, but the teams love coming in into Memphis, man. Because well, we had a secretary used to like we had the, the players. cheerleaders and the Vogues and all that. Stuff. Wait, 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 wait. What did you say, Rudy? <laughs> we had a secretary like going out and creating the teams. I won't mention her name, but she kept a picture of them, each one of them that she met over her desk. <laughs> Anyway, we brought these guys in. Anyway. The wall. And and they were they were just, we used to have these parties, man. I mean just every game was a party after the game and and I brought a lot of American players in from Connecticut where I had been. And they're all into grass. They're all doing grass and marijuana after the game, you know? After the game they'll be high, they all disappear. Well, the, guy, the beer vendor, Bobby Lawson, he he was notorious for yeah. making a big batch of cookies, okay, yeah. with a little herb infused. And uh, he'd shake his hand. Oh, this is Bobby Lawson. He's the uh, beer man. Okay, take your hand away. There's a cookie in there. They call him Mr. Keebler. <laughs> <laughs> Bob Brame, Rudy Schiffer, Hal Downing uh, joining us on the, on the podcast today. Yeah, Original Rogues uh, from 1978. Of course, Rudy came down uh, from the, the Connecticut Bicentennials. Culturally, was this just... Was just just kind of a shock. It sounds like you got acclimated pretty quickly to the yeah, area. And- well, I liked it so much. I, I I fell right into it. I mean, I tried to assimilate, you know, the southern culture and become southern, and and try <laughs> to forget I had been grew up a Boston Yankee. And I get to love the South. I love it. I like it. It's a little slower way of living compared up in New York and Boston, where everything's boom boom. You got to get it done tomorrow. You know. And and that was always good. And I learned how to slow down and go with it. And that wasn't the problem. The problem was the owners. Let me talk about some of the owners that I had. Would love to hear about the owners. Well, the first was Harry Mangorian, who owned the Celtics and had a lot of money and had a had a house on, on the beach in, in Fort Lauderdale. That was all white. And all over the house of signs, no smoking, no smoking. So one day he wanted to meet, and I brought down Eddie McCready and Kevin Carter, who were both heavy smokers. <laughs> <laughs> and I warned him, don't smoke. So, But we go out to dinner, and boy, boy, they both light up. <laughs> and Harry looks at him, and Kevin, Kevin's going a mile a minute telling Harry how to run the team. And Kevin was just a, a wild man. He was, he was a smart kid and a great personality, but he was just wild. Uh, and he was telling Harry to how to, and Harry's going, yeah, yeah. Well, next day, Harry... I go see Harry in his office, and he's really fire him, fire you, fire, fire that jerk. <laughs> I can't. I says he's my, he's my radio guy. That's all I got. You know, I got, a, and he's working for me, a PR guy. You know, so we went through that, and Harry put us in his jet. He had four jets, and then would take off in Fort Lauderdale, fly hundred miles in the sky, come down a hundred miles, and be in in uh, where uh, Ocala, where he had his huge ranch. And he was such a neat freak. He had these white fences all around. The, the ranch to keep the, the horses in, and every one was hand clipped around the bottom. The grass was hand clipped. He had a stall, a uh, stable that was all white. You know, it was just tell him what it, tell tell him the story what what he wanted you to do to go spy on Arbach. Oh yeah, I well, mean of all after, people, after the, are you talking about Red Arbach? Yeah, yeah. The, the Celtics love legend. This. Yeah, yeah. This well, so Arbach worked for Harry too, of course. Okay. Red Arbach, and um, after the after the team and. It folded in Memphis. He called me one day. He said, Rudy, 
Oh, his his right hand man called me, Steve. Really, you got to come down. Harry wants you to come down and play golf. Okay, what's this all about? Are you that good of a golfer? Well, I play golf, you know. So I go down to this beautiful country club, and we're playing golf, and we're talking. Nothing. About the fifteenth hole, he says, "How did I go to Boston? Because my town, you know." I said, yeah, hell yes. I want you to go to Boston, spy on our back. He's stealing from me. <laughs> Just like I was stealing from him. You know? He's stealing from me. I said, well, Harry, I'd love to go to Boston. But if I, when I walk in that door in the Celtics office, they're going to put cement shoes on me and make me walk down the Charles River in the bottom. <laughs> because they have, Harry, Red has a clique. He has this clique of four guys. He had this little group. and They're all... Auerbach guys. And you could, Red Auerbach was a legend in Boston. Oh, right? yeah. I said, you can't touch him. He said, yeah, but if you find out he's stealing, you could, we can blow him out. I said, Harry, I'm turning the job down. I, <laughs> I don't want to get whacked. I said, I said, I'm not going to Boston. Red Auerbach, I mean, I'm a peanut compared to him. And Auerbach was just the best. You know, he could light up cigars on the bench and get away with it. And when he was winning, when we were winning the game in Boston, he wrote, he wrote, he put that cigar in his mouth and smoked it. Harry sold the team when he, he was here with his wife. And they're going up, and they wouldn't let him come up the elevator because they didn't, he didn't have a pass. We had a tight, we had this old booger. Remember that old guy, Mr. Somebody, who ran the elevator? It was a tough old bird. And I told him, don't let anybody up without a pass. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me up if I didn't have a pass. You know? Al Brown was a stadium manager. Yeah, well, he's a pain in the butt. He was always giving us. He, you know, he, when, he didn't you know like my something. favorite Al, when Fogelman owned the team, he, he would make me come over when we had the attendance and we had to give it to Al Brown so they could turn it in the league. But Fogelman would make me give it to him every time on a piece of paper. Yeah. And he would scratch it out, <laughs> add a few thousand on it. Here, go give that to Al. <laughs> yeah, it pumped. So uh, then um, <laughs> Harry sold the team to Fogelman, Averin, uh Fred Smith, Will well, Sparks. Well, that was later. That was, no, that's the, that was the limited partnership. Yeah, that was limited partnership. But Averin, yeah, right, Mr. Fogelman was in charge. Yeah. When did that happen? When did how many years? 78. Okay. I mean, 79 and 80. Okay. They came in in 79. Then they had to go to work for Fogelman, which was another story. You know, he's a legend in the sound, but not in my mind. <laughs> I had a, He was a control freak, too. I just got rid of one. I got another one. Three times a day. We had a, He installed a teletype in my office so I could send him messages on, on the Western Union teletype, you know. Here's what we got to work at 9 o'clock, and here's what I'm going to do today. Then at noon, I had to send him an update. At the end of the day, I either go up his office or call him and tell him what I did all day long. Now, he'd come in the office on Saturday mornings, like at 9 o'clock, which is kind of a day off, but I was in there. He'd come in and he'd sit. He'd sit by the front door to see who was coming to work and what time they came in. You know, a little, little freaky, you know. But Rudy was there? Yeah. Yeah, I loved the job. I loved the job, you know. I was making 25000 a year. and uh, Which was good money back then. Which is, you know. Yeah. Comparatively speaking, but when when Nelson Scalbania bought the team for him, he gave me fifty five thousand. So you can see, I didn't mind going to Canada. Oh, you did move. To, you did <laughs> move to Calgary. The Rogues and came to Calgary Boomers, and uh, we had basically the, the same players. A lot of, we had a lot of tough English players. Well, indoor translated into really good players because they were so tough. And we led the league in red cards. The red card being for you folks out there don't know soccer <laughs> from an orange. Is when you create a bad penalty, you get thrown out of the game if you get a red card. Yeah. And we led the league in red cards because we kicked everybody's ass. When Slap shot. Out. You know, the typical scores in those games like 11 to 12 and 15 mm-hmm. to 10. Our games were 3 to 2. You didn't score. We could only score. We scored enough to win, but you didn't score. And uh, 
that that was a key, and we sold out indoors. We had a great indoors year. That was unbelievable. We sold out every game. I love the story about a lot of the guys on the uh, on the team personnel didn't have the first clue about indoor soccer, and you basically had to piece a field together. Can you, can <laughs> yeah. you share that one with us, Hal? We what Daryl May, I guess, was uh, over the Coliseum right. then, I think, and he's a good guy. And they had, you know, Memphis had the old river, some farm hockey team. So we had the dasher boards and the floor, but we had to buy the turf to put on top of it. And then we sold the signage, you know, on the dasher boards for advertising. So we made a little extra money doing that. But, you know, I I mean, I was still playing at the time, but I'd never even seen an indoor game. And we sold that first game out of us going around telling everybody, this is the greatest sport in the world. We'd never seen it. But if we sold it out and it was louder, the, the, it was so loud in there. If you remember yeah, the well, old Memphis State Louisville basketball games, it was louder than that. Well, I used to sit behind the bench, and Fogelman sat behind me with his family, and I had one, I had a kid, and always just keep bringing me beers. <laughs> and Fogelman be yelling in my ear, "Turn up the noise, loud as Harry." I mean, Aaron, as loud as you can go. You know? And he would play that Memphis Tennessee song over and over and over, man. Bob was trying got, to do radio. How did you ever overcome all that noise, Robert? Uh, the magic of good headphones. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, it was just it was magical. I mean, it really was. Yeah, Kevin Card. How'd you keep him under control? Uh, well, uh, Kevin. Uh, His pregame prep was he he Budweiser. Well, you know that's that's where all that beer was going yeah. that was missing. Yeah, <laughs> there was a beer stand, which of course it was free to the media, and it was right outside the broadcast booth. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to a commercial break, and I said, "I got it this time, man. I go get, you know, go I'll get, get two the beers. next round, <laughs> like Harry Carey." <laughs> but then there was that that magical day at the Liberty Bowl. Halfway through the second season, I guess, when Kevin didn't, and you know, when he says we called him the wild card because he really was, <laughs> you know, you you knew anything. that you didn't know what he was going to do, but you knew say? it was going to be memorable. And uh, he didn't like the job that whoever was doing public address at the time, <laughs> yeah, didn't, didn't like the job that the Tom P, Stalker. I don't think Tom was doing it. <laughs> We're at halftime, and he got so angry, and he said, "I got to go check on this problem. I mean, this is just this is not acceptable." And he never came back. <laughs> and then he just—I mean, he had other duties with. The team. But he he got on that PA the last the last game of the season, and that's when uh, that was Kyle Rowe Junior.'s last game was a professional too at our stadium. But the referee would make a call, and he'd say. What do you think about that call, fans? Oh, Rudy's going, get him off the microphone, man. We're going to get written up. <laughs> then we had a halftime show with this Memphis Blues band. It was like a 1,000 people marching all over the field, and it was a TV game. And I'm down there on the field, and Rudy's going, get him off the field, man. We're getting fined. Fogelman's up in the booth. Just get those guys off the field. But uh, we had some really – some good. We asked some good. We got by. We figured out a way to get by. Like we picked up two young kids on on loan, sort of from from Chelsea and uh, Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. David yeah. Stride from Chelsea was a terrific left back with a terrific left foot, and um, Smiley, 
who was a played at Crystal Palace who could run, called him the road runner. Yeah. And they were like 17. <laughs> well, when we played the Cosmos, who were, had the best players in the world here, we beat them. Well, how do we do that? People ask me. Well, we had a, it wasn't a secret, but we knew our field was only 58 yards wide. <laughs> and it's supposed to be 70. It was like a bumper pool table. So we knew that they liked to play out wide because they had great wings and feed it into Giorgio Canalia, who would put, put them away in the middle. Sure. But if he couldn't get the ball, we had a chance. Well, we packed the whole, we played defensively and packed the whole field with plays against you. And they couldn't score. Uh, they great. Um, they had this great Brazilian. Carlos Alberto. Carlos Alberto kicked Phil Holder in the Nuggets and got a red card, and that helped us because now we were playing ten stars instead of eleven. You know, but in the game, David Stride who could run. He, he could run like a bandit. He flies down the left wing. He hits a shot cur- across into the middle, and Tony Field, who played for the Cosmos year, who was the MVP the year before that we had traded for, was now playing for us. We're standing on top of the box about 25, years, 25 yards out, and Stride puts the, the ball on his foot, and he hits it one times and into the net. And we upset the Cosmos one to nothing, which is probably one of the biggest upsets. It hit worldwide yeah. news, man. One I mean, of the, it, probably it, one of the biggest upsets of soccer. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Bob, uh, Bob recounted a, a, a couple of months ago on one of our podcasts, the post game, what the players had uh, said, uh, Tony Field and John Huska talking about that game, how it shocked yeah. the world. And plus, Tony Field, I think, probably was happier than anybody else oh, to yeah. come back and bite the Cosmos in the butt on that. I, I remember you had some oh, commentary. Yeah, yeah Huska uh, in the commercial appeal the next morning. Ray Jordan, who covered the team for the CA, uh, was yeah. interviewing Huska. And uh, John said, you know, the Cosmos have it here, rubbed his fingers together, indicating they got the money. He said, but we've got it here. And he tapped his chest. Well, Huska. Huska was a sweet kid. And he had an agent. He was one of the few kids that had a, had an agent at a big firm in, in Cleveland. And um, after that season, he had a great, everybody liked Huska. Like, Huska, Huska. And he had a great you know, image of himself, which is a little different. He than was like the All-America boy. Yeah, yeah. But it was a little different. So I had to negotiate the contracts the second year. So John comes in and says, well, I want a, a big raise and this and that. I said, well, I said, John, I don't think so. You know, you only won two games. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't my fault. I said, okay, well, I said, he says, I want a raise. I said, I can't give it to you. He said, what are you going to do? I said, off the trade. He says, you wouldn't do that. I said, come here. So I bring him over to the teletype machine. I sit down and get the league address and says, Memphis puts John Huska on waivers as of today. I'm typing it out. He goes crazy. He says, stop, stop, I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play. I'll play. <laughs> and we sub- subsequently had to replace him with uh, uh, Bob Stetler. Bob Stetler. Bob Stetler was another, he passed away. Got who, the when soul. he got done playing, he went up and lived naked in the woods up and up in New York. So yeah. He was just a wild man. He was too. a wild But guy. he was a great indoor player. He was, he could, he was, he was a indoor. great keeper. I mean, he broke his hand. He played with a mitt. Yeah. Just that just cast him up real good and a goalie indoor with a broken hand. I mean, yeah, yeah we had those players. things are coming in at hundred miles an hour. Yes, I mean, we had some players like you know Bobby Bobby Thompson. Uh, Thompson Bobby Thompson played for England eleven times. Charlie Cook played for Scotland about thirty times. He yeah, was the, the Bonnie, Bonnie, Prince. Bonnie Prince of Chelsea. 
you know, we had some some really good players, and we had uh, a solid defense. You know, know. but they they were in shape, and they didn't take being in shape very, you know, to heart. And uh, they liked living it up night before the game, after the game. And uh, what about those young English lads? Did they have a good time over here? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stride Stride brought his old man over once. We had a party at the Pine River that Pepper Tree Apartments Pepper, <laughs> dumps out there. All the players, I got them free. And uh, one night we're having a party after the game, and I'm I'm half blasted. I'm laying under the kitchen table with a beer in my hand, half passed out. And Stride comes over with his, his dad from England. Hey, Father, hey, Pop, this is our chairman, Rudy Schiffer. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me. <laughs> a little different than England, but when the chairman with Lord Brayburn and people like that. So, so when when did they have more fun, home, at home or on road trips? Well, <laughs> it's hard to say. I, you know, I can, you know, I can address the road trip part because uh, I'm 17 years old. Uh, they were good-looking kids, uh, you know. I mean, anybody could, knows anything they about could run all night, They could eat all night, and they could do the other thing all night. <laughs> and they would, and, and and every single city we went to, I would know. Just just hang around and take the rejects because I'll do something's going to happen. <laughs> something's when going they went out, I'd go out with them. We'd go partying, and they introduced me as the owner of the team. <laughs> so we we did get kicked out of a few hotels on the road. We, we had a memorable trip to Seattle. I, Bob, I, I guess you went on that Seattle and Vancouver at the end of the season, and um, Gene Duchateau, who I've seen a couple of years ago, played our goalie, and he was six foot five. But we're playing Seattle, and they had that Jeff Hurst, uh-huh. who scored three goals against Germany for England in the World Cup to win the World Cup, and he was great in the air. And I says, Eugene, this guy is. He's in the air. He's a tiger. You got to get out and stop him. Don't let him. Well, he scored a couple goals on us. I says, I, I got to do something. So I had a contact in Hong Kong. I sent him to Hong Kong to play with a Chinese team in Hong Kong on loan to learn how to play air balls. Well, he calls me up. Hey, Rudy, I got it down pat. I can do it now. I says, oh, dang it. You better. They're only five foot six, so you better beat them in the air. <laughs> <laughs> we, we finished the game in Seattle. And, uh. That night I get calls. Hey, Rudy, we're on an island in Seattle Harbor. How are we going to get back? As I take the ferry up to Vancouver. I mean, these guys are all over the place. I don't know who's going to show up. <laughs> we go to Vancouver. I go out. I come in the hotel about 2 o'clock in the morning before the game. And I hear this noise. And so they had a pub in the cell, the King George Hotel. It was a pub. I got all the players around here drinking at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, we went out, put the wrong uniforms on. Next day, got hell for that. Got fined. One one of our Yugoslavian players kicked one of the guys in the head on the sideline. He got thrown out, and uh, we won the game. <laughs> I mean, that was it was it was a lot of fun. I, I could I started to write a book about it, but it, it was so, so 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 many slanderous things I had to say, and I couldn't publish it. <laughs> one game we had um, Stetler and Paul Cannell got arrested. For, they went to a concert here in town. They pulled the pants down, mooned the crowd. They get arrested. We had to bail them out. Aaron, Aaron called me. Wanted me to fire him. I said, Aaron, we just can't fire him. We got contracts. You know, get rid of him. Get rid of him. That's what the the morning news was. That story. Yeah. You know, two rogues players dropped their trial at the concert yeah, I mean, last night. But those are the rogues. You know, we were the rambling but Kevin, rogues of Memphis. Kevin Cars. I was going on a road trip with him one time, and at three in the morning, Kevin calls me and says, "Hey, Hal, listen, I get one call. You're it." He goes, "I'm in jail." I said, "Kevin, we got to get on the plane like two hours." He goes. My mom was the director of the Bar Association, so I said, all right, let me call her real quick. So I, mom, she called the judge like at 3 in the morning. He gets out. 
shows up the next morning on the plane. He's had these red marks on his wrist. And I said, God, they put those cuffs on you a little tight. He goes, those are booster burns. <laughs> well, what, how, booster. What, was the, what was the lyrics of that song? We're the Ramblin' Rogues. The Ramblin' Rogues. Rogues the off the field and on the field. <laughs> had their share of fun on and off the pitch. But generally speaking, were most of the guys just generally good guys? Yeah, I mean, there are always a couple of jerks. Guys that, you know, thought they were still superstars in England or whatnot. Uh, guys wanted more money. I remember Jorge Berrio, who played for Argentina, we brought him up. And he was a pretty good defender. And uh, But this first year he played, he only played about nine games. He was always injured or something or didn't start. And so when it comes to time to go, this this one Abern on the team and Dean Jernigan tried to run it. And uh, Jorge comes to my office and he says, I want the raise, I want the car, I want the apartment. And Jorge, you didn't play that much. Yes, I played a lot. I pulled. I had the stats in my desk. I pulled out here. Nine games. You ain't getting anything. You play the same money you made last year if you want to stay. I go on to see Mr. Jernigan. So he goes next door to see Dean. And Dean gives him a raise, gives him a car and apartment. <laughs> Everything he wanted. Of a secondary run-of-the-mill player. He comes in my office and gives me a double finger. And laughs and walks away, you know. Then, then uh, Tony Field and, and John John uh, Faulkner wanted big raises up to sixty thousand, which is way above our budget, you know. And uh, we paid that to Paul Child, who was worth it, and Paul Cannell. And uh, I wouldn't give it to him, but Aaron said, "No, give it to him. We don't want to make waves. Just give him a raise." I mean, you got no budget for that, you know. So we gave him raises. We had all these players making a lot of money. I finally traded John Faulkner, and they put up signs in the stadium. Trade Rudy. <laughs> my, my son got pissed off and walked over to want to fight with the guy. Let's sign up. Hey, you mentioned Paul Child. He was really good in the nineteen eighty season. Then he went on to continue to be really, really productive. Yeah. How did you How did you get Paul Child in here? We traded for him. I mean, he was he was another tough English player. Really had his shoulders on, but his game is like Canals was in the air. Yeah, they were great in the air, but they couldn't score on the ground, and a Canal couldn't score indoor for some reason. Because everything played on the ground. Canal was more finesse. Yeah. yeah. And they were terrific players in, in the air. And because we had a lot of a lot of young American players that we had to have for budget. You know, we only paid them about 15000 a year. And, uh, you know, you, you, we did the best we could with what we had. And uh, we, we didn't have any money to spend on players. But yeah, Rudy was the, cutting deals all over town, apartments for tickets. Yeah, but for the, tickets. The, 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 the fans loved it because we were the rogues. Yeah. We were entertaining on the field. You know, we fought and scraped and bit and yeah. cursed and on the field and off the field. The people, we had the greatest slogan in the world, that, that fearsome elephant soccer. Right. Soccer outfit was a, the best slogan, I think, in the whole league. Oh, I so, think so. And you guys were everywhere. I, I, I don't know who did the scheduling. Hal, was that you? But that was the youth, the youth clinics out at Wilson Field, uh, out at Willow Field, and there weren't that many fields in the city of no, Memphis. No, I mean, when I but, started playing, there was one soccer field in Memphis, Wilson Field by Fox Meadows Golf Course. Yeah, that's that's our legacy that we had. We left behind. You know, there are some teams that follow us, but they were Christian-based teams. We were Satan-based. <laughs> A little different. You know, Could it but, be Satan? Yeah, that actually is. Uh, <clears throat> I have moved to Dallas. Well, when the team was sold, I mean, that was 25% of my income. And so, about that time, it wasn't God, much, was it? <laughs> you uh, moved to Dallas then, Bob. What? When the rogues were sold and moved, I, I ended up moving to Dallas. 
And then I, I, w- I was back in Memphis a few years later after I'd gone to Dallas uh, to see a friend of mine who happened to be working for the Memphis Americans, uh, which Kyle wrote was yeah. the coach and general manager at the time. And, uh, and she said, have you ever met Kyle? And I said, no. And she said, well, come on. So I walked in, and I mean, within five minutes, literally, and I may have mentioned this to you before, Tim, uh, Kyle said, and my friend was leaving. Her, she was the PR director, and she was leaving the job. So I'm talking to Kyle, and within five minutes, he said, well, you, you're in Dallas, but you're from Memphis. I said, right. He said, you want to come back? You know, Mary's moving out. You can come right in. And uh, that's how I got, got involved with the Americans. Uh, Rudy went to Calgary, and, and uh, Dean Jernigan asked me what I was going to do, and I said, I'm going to go back operating computers, I guess, because I was working for the city of Memphis on their big mainframe system. I said, I, got, I guess I'll call Fred at FedEx or Holiday Inn or whatever. And he said, well, why don't you come to work for us in the apartment business? And I said, the apartment business? I don't think so. <laughs> Anyway, I did, and the rest of history. I mean, I had a great career there, um, from there to Wall Street, and it's it all started with the sport of soccer for me. If I wouldn't have played, I never would have had a chance to meet Rudy the Rogue. Yeah, <laughs> when, when did you guys know that the move to Calgary was going down? When the team, when, when did you know the team had, was had been sold? Like how much of the at season? At the end of the season, left? at the end of ninety eighty season, it was within thirty days, wasn't it, Rudy? I mean, it was quick. Yeah, Scalbania, Nelson Scalbania was a, a wealthy Vancouver businessman who owned the Atlanta Flames hockey team, and he owned Wayne Gretzky. He moved the Atlanta Flames to Calgary, and they built a new stadium for him. And he, brought the, he bought the Rogues, and he, he sold Gretzky to Peter Pocklington in Edmonton. <laughs> you know? Rest his history like, on that, right? Like selling Babe Ruth, yeah, you know? both big real estate guys. Yeah. Um, and we all went to Canada. I went up first to break the ground, and you know, first I met Nelson. He picked me up at the airport and asked me what I was making, and I told him twenty five thousand. I'll give you fifty, fifty five. Get together, and he was five hundred miles away, and I set the whole team up. Brought virtually all the players up with me, and some of the front. Yeah, Steve had. Bradshaw and Bo. Bo yeah, Melson went up there. Yeah, didn't didn't Charlie, Bo go with Charlie, him? Yeah. And um, Al Miller, the famous American coach, became my coach. And uh, uh, Charlie still stayed on as a player and most of the players. And we played in the uh, in the Calgary indoor. We played in the Calgary Corral. <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a little indoor hockey arena. We played there, and, and we sold that out. And we played outdoors at the Stampede. The Stampede, I forget the name of the Calgary Stadium. We played outdoors. We had, a, we had a good team. We brought a lot of Germans in then. I always had a connection in Germany. We brought some really Rudy actually, he actually asked me to go, but I had to uh, stay behind to go oh, ahead yeah. and marry my ex-wife. Yeah, was, uh, you yeah, married your ex-wife? Four, four years with the, with the Rogues, and she said, yeah, you can go up there and have fun <laughs> in Canada, but I'm not going to be here if you get back. I called Rudy. I, I can't come, Rudy. <laughs> I think a byproduct of the NASL days, uh, and I know it, it folded, and of course it's come back in different iterations, but one of the byproducts is is that was the first generation of fans to really get educated, and now 
their parents or they are grandparents of kids and grandkids who are playing. So you've now got a second or third generation of fan that's a lot more educated, more savvy about the sport, and therefore more loyal to the sport because they can identify it. They've, they've played, well, they played it. They know it. the players. They've played it since they're kids now, see? Yeah. All the kids are playing soccer. And even more so now because they're putting a lot of pressure on football because of concussions. And there's a lot of people saying, I won't let my kid play football because they're worried about lifetime injuries. So soccer, youth soccer is really burgeoned, I mean, become a big thing. And that's, as now developed players, we have some of the best players in the world. Again, again, again like Pulisic, or Pulisic, whatever your name is, that 20 years old plays, coming, for, plays for Chelsea. He's on the, the national team. We got some great players on the national team. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we had uh, Richard Mulrooney in here recently who played on the national team and, and played in MLS, and he talked about growing up here in the culture while – he does remember a little bit about the Rogues. He does remember the fact that the Americans, he would go to the games and watch about half the game. I mean, he was in elementary school, watch about half the game, go out in the hall with one of those mini soccer balls. Yeah, that's what they used to do. We had more kids in the hall watching than watching in, in the indoor games. But, yeah. you know, the, the fact that the Rogues were here and began to grow that following, and then the Americans tapped into that. When I uh, uh, came back to work with the Americans, I had to... I, and here I was media relations director. I had been around the rogues, and I mean, you know, we were just hellraisers, <laughs> and that extended down to the broadcast booth too, uh, you know, which in later years got me in trouble. But I, I went to Kyle and I said, "Look, I know a lot of people from the time I was with the rogues, and they remember the rogues, and they remember Eddie McCready drinking vodka and coke all night long." I don't think there. Were, I don't know if there were any players who you could, you know, you would not run into in the bar. That's it. Uh, so hanging out with with the Rogues and now with the Americans, Kyle Rote is the head coach and general manager. Kyle Rote, you know, doesn't, or as I know, never has been a drinker. And athletes in action was an ownership part of that that yep. league too. So it, and was, I said, it was more Christian. So based. now they're saying. I don't, I don't get it with the Americans. And so my question to Kyle was, you know, are the Americans uh, a Christian soccer team or just a, a soccer team that happens to have a lot of Christians on it? He said, it's the latter. And I said, well, you know, I uh, the late, great Helmut Dudek and Baron Holzenbein, because, uh, you know, they had the, they, they were with the team. And uh, Dudek, I mean, he, he could knock that wall down with his shot. I mean, he had a rocket at the foot. But uh, we're, we're staying in a hotel that had a Playboy club in the lobby. So I go down, and Baron and Helmut are there, and they're just speaking German. And, and they were drinking. And I... They're going back and forth, and these bunnies are walking by, you know, scantily clad, obviously. And uh, so Baron said something to Helmet. Uh, Helmet turned around and looked at me, and I said, "What did you just say?" He said, "I'm in love." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, you, there were uh, uh, a couple of the Americans would would go out for a beer. And the, and the Germans did. Other than that, no, yeah, they didn't. And they weren't prudish you, about it. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts 
uh, angry exultations, any pronouncements, anything else that we missed? No, I'd like to pay tribute to some Rogues players that passed away to Bobby Thompson, who died in England a few years ago. David Stride. Uh, yep. Yeah. John Faulkner, Bob Stetler. Uh, Stetler, boy, I tell you, he was something else. Well, no. I'd also like to mention um, one of my key guys in that whole thing in soccer that was my son, Michael, who passed away last year. And that's left me with a heavy heart. But his birthday was yesterday. You know Michael. Yeah. And we know guardian of his son who lives with us, Ashton, is doing very well at Christ the King School. I've even become a Christian again, which is nice to say. Yeah. yeah. In my heart, God found me at last. I didn't put my hands on the TV like Bob did. You know. <laughs> you guys lived an experience together. I mean, you guys lived through an era that uh, a lot of people loved. Um and it sounds like you kept a lot of those relationships after well, the fact. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a short time, but it was a special time that, you know, even decades later, you know, you, you were able well, to. Well, Roman to Roman Russell, who was a player with us, has a big state I'll call it down in Florida on a, on a Julianchin Creek by the ocean, and I was down there. He invited me down to come down for the World Cup with Eugene Duchateau and Kevin O'Neill and. Guys like that, we so every World Cup we meet down at his place, and he sets up a soccer. Yeah, I still play. stay in touch with Hugh O'Neill. Yeah, and uh, so you got Deschateau back from China then. Yeah, he made it back. <laughs> Hal, Rudy, Bob, thank you for blessing us by coming by the podcast, spending some time with us, and I hope this won't be the last time that we'll get a chance to chat. And guys, thanks so much. All right, hey, thank okay. you, Tim. Thank you, thank you. More next on my three subs, a soccer odyssey. I love talking soccer, but I also love talking about real estate, too. And, and people ask me about both a lot. And one of the big questions I get in real estate is, how's the housing market? The housing market looks great, and interest rates are near historical lows. And really, it all comes down to when is the time right for you. If you're ready to make your move, give me a call. Tim Van Horn at Cry Like Realtors. 901-756-8900 is my office number. Brody, can I give him my cell number? Oh, I can? Okay. 901-262-5000. That's my cell phone. You can also go to my website, timvanhorn.com. I can help you with your move around the block, around the city, around the state, and even around the world, too. I have a network of relocation certified agents just ready to help you. They are dying for your business, and I can put you in touch with those. All it takes is pick up the phone, give me a call. 901-756-8900. That's my office number. You can call me at my cell, 901-262-5000. Or just go online. Check me out at timvanhorn.com. That's timvanhorn.com with Cry Like Realtors. This is My Three Subs, a soccer odyssey. And we have added time to the podcast. Tim, a couple weeks ago, we had the angry ref in to talk about some rule changes. It's a grumpy ref, by the way. Get it right. Because he'll text me in a grumpy way. He was mean. Looked at me with a card eyed. All right. So angry ref, grumpy ref. Angry, grumpy ref. <laughs> sharing the the new changes. He inspired you. Yes. Well, yeah. To talk about some new tactics that I think could be pretty beneficial to some clubs. This is the first I've heard of it. You know what? I'm going to kick back. I am all ears. All right. So, the new one of the new rules is you can challenge basically uh, a goal kick, right? Once it's touched, right? It doesn't have to leave the box. Yeah, it doesn't have to leave the box or anything like that. All right. Also, there's a new kind of stipulation when it comes to offsides, and, and there's just 
a whole new attacking rule. And I think it's to make the game more attacker-friendly, okay? At least that's how I read it, into it. All right, where are you going with this? Poachers. Poachers? Yes. You want people shooting elephants and rhinoceroses? <laughs> rhinoceros? Shooting goals. And, and oh. basically shooting the giant elephant in the room, and that is the goal. Okay. I want poachers on the field. All right? So you take one of your wingbacks or whatever, or you, your wingman, right? And, and you basically park them in the attacking third and leave them there. Okay. You might get an offside call once or twice, but for the most part, that ball gets touched out of the box, go. You're in there. And just sprint in. That's right. All right. You're talking five goals right away. Devil's advocate. Okay. What about long goal kicks? That pretty much nullifies that. Well, you're going to have to force that. See what I'm saying? Like, eventually, you're going to have to force that team to take the long goal kick. All right. But it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Okay. So, so your plan is to discourage the short ball. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which is going to be played a lot out of the back. I guarantee it. And you're talking about poachers, and you're talking about an offside position, but you're talking about in the run of play, not goal kicks, right? Well, primarily in the run of play. Okay. Yeah. Because there are no offsides on goal kicks. But what I'm saying, that's what I mean. That's why your poacher is going to sit there and press into that goal kick. Okay. See what I'm saying? Like stand right on the 18 line. Hey. And I dare you. Dare you. Kick it at me, bro. I got this. It's me and you, pal. It's Wild West style. Pretty good. Thank you. See a little tumbleweed on the yeah. sideline you know, going down. <laughs> Come on, line. that's that's great news. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like so, you, so that was your that was your new tactic, new rule, and that is poachers. That's it? Is just put a guy that can score goals on the 18. <laughs> that's it. And leave him there. And, 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 it's no a matter, new position. It's called poacher. And no matter where the run of play is, just leave him. Just leave him down there. You know, I think in the movie Semi Pro, I think that's the, the <laughs> in basketball, I think that's the Jackie Moon position. Exactly. Exactly. He stands under the basket and just leaves him there. Essentially, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about little dunk plays, you know? So you just want to eat just a cherry picker. Yeah. Yeah, man. We, and your rules have set you up for that. Your new rules have set you up to basically have a cherry picker on the pitch at any given time. The entire time Grumpy Ref is talking, that's all I'm thinking about. Is all right. Well, I know what my tactic is, and that is just cherry pick the mess out of this, this team. Well, would this cherry picker have some help? Because if you've got a couple of guys playing out of the back, I mean, he can he can run all day. But I I think where your help comes in is from the long ball in, serving into him. He's not going to be offsides most of the time. Okay, so you're talking about an attack. Essentially, you keep that. Gas pedal gone uh, with with uh, pedal to the metal with that with that cherry picker. See, I'm so confused now because I thought you were talking about defending the short goal kick, and now it sounds like you're talking about just hoofing a goal kick an ungodly amount of yardage down to that guy. Okay, so you're you're talking about the the uh, the attacking. So here's what I'm talking about. Okay, attacking team. By the way, we have good microphones, so if you want to draw this up on a piece of paper, I'm sure yeah. our audience can yeah. see this. They're going to see this. Okay, so they we attack. We take a picture of this and post yeah. this on our website too. <laughs> okay, so you're attacking team, right? All right, he's coming down. All right, and oh, goal kick. Okay. All right. Oh, right. here's where your cherry picker comes in. Dad, let's give these guys Dad. names. Right. Just give it. Let's say Messi. Let's just Me- call him Messi. Okay, Messi. 
Messi comes in, and he's going to be your cherry picker. All right. Messi is, is new. Messi is over here. And then your your keeper. Okay. He's taking the goal kick, right? Who are we going to call? We, we... Uh, Howard. Okay. All right. Close to home. Is he good? If he's not good, we're not calling him Howard. No, he's not good. He's, he's uh, oh, If he's not good, then we're going to call let's him. Let's call him. Uh, Van Horn. <laughs> okay. Van Horn's in the goal. Okay. Van Horn, back here, ready to take the goal kick, right? All right. All right. Oh, but Messi's right here. He's in my cherry picker. So Van Horn's looking at it and goes, I can't really take a too short of a kick here, but there's nothing really going in the upper part. And you've been practicing with these new rules, this short dump play out to your, your defenseman on the right. Okay, it's a goal kick on the right. You short kick out to the defenseman on the right. Except for Messi, your cherry picker, is going to intercept that pass now because he's running full fledged. So he can high, run faster. So now he can run faster than the ball. Messi. Well, Messi's outsmart you because that's his only job right now. It's to cherry pick. Okay. So that's his only job is to is to take a look at where your backs are and say, okay, you've got option one, two, or three. And and more than likely you're because it's on the right, you're not gonna cross the face of the goal. Because that would be silly. I'm standing in front of it. Uh, you're probably going to go right. Right? Okay. So, bam. He cherry picks your, your pass. Instant goal. 4-0. 5-0. The score gets run up because of these new rules. I love your tactic for youth soccer. <laughs> Beyond youth soccer, that is the biggest waste of energy I've ever seen. <laughs> It's brilliant. You know, if 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 our if our guest next week, who is a coach, was in here, he'd probably tell you the same thing. You know what? I might use that for my club team, for my under 11s, my under 10s, because you got a goalkeeper that maybe can't clear the box. <laughs> so you're gonna have Messi run an extra mile and a half not in mile. the hopes. Not even, not even a it mile. Add, it adds up. Like Fifteen feet. It's like trips to the fridge add up on the step counter. Yeah, sure. Those are my trips sit-up. to the bathroom at night. Yeah, yeah I mean. Okay, in that regard, yeah, it's going to add up. When you get older, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but you're talking an extra 15 feet and a run. That's nothing. It's either going to force the kicking team, the, the goal kick team, to quicken the pace, okay? But as soon as you start, you know, taking a long time to kick a to go, kick a goal kick, forget about it. That's a goal. I don't, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this in a respectful way. Are you stupid? <laughs> no. <laughs> How long did you spend on this? <laughs> uh, the entire time he's talking, I'm sitting there going, well, just just put a poacher in front of there. I like the theory of it. The, like, pra- the practicality, it, it... Out the window, huh? I like the way it's drawn up. I Listen, I, I like it, and I see where it can be applied. Yeah. But it's very limited. <laughs> I just don't see it working. How with many goal kicks do, do you watch during a match? How many do I watch? Yeah, like a bigger dozen, right? I, I watch. Yeah, I watch them all. However right. many there might be, you know, 12, 13 a match. It might be twenty-five, just depending on the attack. Right, yeah. depending on the attack. Well, this would force the team to attack, okay? Because you want a goal kick at this point, all right? And so, so they serve a ball out long once or twice. Still, go go odd fifty-fifty. That half of them go long, half of them go short. Those short ones are always contested with the cherry picker. Now, can the other team slide a, a midfielder or other defender back to give another option? Put a man on him, right? Put a man on him. 
Sure. That negates your your attack then. Your your counterattack. Bam. Please, please take a picture of that. We must have that uploaded to the website. <laughs> it's brilliant. I'm gonna put X's and O's. And you know what? You might I don't know if you want to copyright that. X's, or if you want yeah. or, or if you want to share that freely with other club teams. <laughs> yeah. X's X's are, are my my uh goal kick team and O's are my So if you have a goalkeeper yeah. who sees a guy standing on the eighteen and decides to pass it in a path in which this guy could run, then this is pretty much a flawless plan. Yes. Yes, flawless. Victory. Hmm. Victory be happy. Please, yeah. You got to absolutely post this. <laughs> you you, you got to post this. And we want to hear your take on this too at my3subspodcast at gmail.com. You, you can also find us on Twitter at my3subspodcast, mm-hmm. on Facebook by the same moniker, and at my3subsoccerpod on Instagram. We want to thank our sponsors uh, for uh, tagging along for the ride with us today. And, of course, we want to thank our guests, Rudy Schiffer. We want to thank Al Downing. Talk about a wild ride. And we want to thank Bob Brame as well. Yeah, this could be the craziest episode we've had. And plus, it brought the word shenanigans out for today yeah. as well. It's the word of the day. Yeah. So it's it's, it's great. we got a great guest uh, lined up next week. And uh, check us out online at my3subspodcast.com. We thank you for listening. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, heck, tell your enemies as well. It might be the bridge that helps bring everybody back yeah. together. Yeah, that's it. We're just bringing the world together in harmony and cherry pickers. One cherry picker at a time. For Brody <laughs> Scott, I'm Tim Van Horn. Have a great week. This is My Three Subs. There's the whistle. Thank you for listening. Check out more My Three Subs podcast, a soccer odyssey at 1019kissfm.com and on the iHeartRadio app.